Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. The next message in our sexual purity series is called Glorifying God in Our Bodies. John walks us through a passage that teaches on how to have a gospel-centered view of our bodies. This passage directly challenged the flawed teaching in Bible times that people were free to do what they wanted with their bodies sexually. What are the lessons for us today? Here's John with Glorifying God in Our Bodies, Part 2. So how often does the slogan that Paul gives, I will not be mastered by anything but Christ, influence your daily life? You can't pursue sexual purity because you don't know what the doctrine of resurrection even is. And if you don't know what theology is, you cannot pursue the Christian life. Because Paul says it is the resurrection that will dominate me, which leads to sexual purity. And so this gospel-driven slogan was the all-controlling reality of Paul's life when it came to sexual sin. What is Paul teaching us? He's teaching us this. The Corinthians failed to understand how harmful and damaging sexual sin is to everybody involved. Not all things are helpful. And second, they failed to understand how sexual sin gains control of and dominates those who indulge in it which is what they were doing, because they were not dominated and controlled by the resurrection of Christ. Now, look at verse 13. Paul confronts and corrects this false view of Christian freedom, and now he confronts and corrects a false view of the body. Look at verse 13. Here's the second slogan that the Corinthians were advocating to justify their sexual license. They were saying Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God's going to destroy both one and the other. So it doesn't matter what we do because it's going to be destroyed. What matters is the immaterial part of me, my spirit. The slogan represents the Corinthians' belief in the moral irrelevance of the body, and this is basically how you can understand this. Just as food is meant for the stomach, And the stomach for food, so God designed the body for sexual activity and sexual activity for the body. Because God's going to destroy both the body and the stomach, it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, and our behavior and our physical bodies is of no moral consequence. This is what Paul's attacking. These Corinthians were influenced by Greek philosophy, which held to a body-soul, material, immaterial dualism. If you don't understand that, don't worry about it, but that's where it's coming from. Just to give you the context, Greek dualism scorned the physical world and exalted the, quote, higher knowledge and wisdom of spiritual existence. And because the Corinthians were influenced by their culture rather than the gospel, they were wrongly reasoning that their acts of the body had no eternal significance or value. And so Paul responds by stating a basic fact of a gospel-centered life that they ought to know but didn't know. And this is it. Look at verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the body is meant for the Lord. And the Lord is committed to the body. That's how you can paraphrase it. He's for the body. Now, note the comparison. Food for the stomach. Stomach for the food. Paul replies, the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. You see the comparison there? Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. That's paganism. The body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. That's gospel-centered reality. That's Christianity. 
And the reason believers cannot live by the philosophy, I'm free to do whatever I want in regard to sexual license, and the body doesn't matter, God's going to destroy it. The reason that's not true and you can't live like that, Paul says, is because, verse 13, your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. Your body was not created for sexual indulgence and unrestrained license. Your body was created for the Lord. And so verse 14, this brings us to verse 14. Paul corrects and confronts this false view of Christian freedom and the false view of the body. And listen, in verse 14, he gives us a gospel-centered, resurrected-centered view of the Christian body. And this is what leads to daily sexual purity. So look at verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Let me give you the context. Paul, in verse 14, is confirming the truth that he says forth in verse 13. The body belongs to the Lord, the Lord for the body. The body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. How do we know that the body belongs to the Lord? How do we know that God is forever eternally committed to the importance of this physical flesh? Because he raised Christ bodily from the dead, and he's going to do the same thing for you. That's verse 14. And Paul will later in chapter 15 devote an entire chapter to the reality of the believer's physical bodily resurrection. And here he's given a foretaste. But here in this context, he's using the argument of physical bodily resurrection of the believer applied to the context of refuting sexual immorality. So I wanted to help you learn what is in Paul's mind so you can learn how to do this in your daily life. So here we go. The doctrine of resurrection confirms the fact that the believer's body belongs to the Lord and not to sexual immorality. The gospel teaches that the believer's body has a glorious destiny. Glorious destiny. But many of the Corinthian believers thought salvation did not involve the body. They only thought salvation was for the soul. And so Paul emphatically states that salvation involves, listen, the whole person, body and soul, spirit, material and immaterial, the whole thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, listen carefully. Our salvation, body and soul, and resurrection is going to be the salvation of the whole universe. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. Paul says that all who are presently citizens of the kingdom of God, that's verses 9 through 11, are moving toward a consummation in the future of God's kingdom, and they're going to get there through resurrection. Our destiny, what is your destiny? Here it is. A new heavens and a new earth and a glorified physical body where righteousness will dwell forever and ever with the king at the center. 
I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Listen to this author. This is very helpful. He says, the body belongs to the Lord Jesus, and God has confirmed his concern for Jesus' body by raising him from the dead. This act of power declares God's ultimate promise to also raise us from the dead because remember, you're united to Christ, which we're going to see next week, and everything that has happened to Christ and everything that Christ is and has accomplished is ours. His destiny is my destiny. His resurrection body is my resurrection body. Whatever happened to him is going to happen to me, and that's what Paul teaches here. No one who understands the fundamental content of the gospel can suppose that our bodies are irrelevant. If you get the gospel and you understand resurrection, you'll never say again, I'm free to do whatever I want to with my body, and my body doesn't matter because it's going to die off. No, it's headed for a glorious resurrection, and you cannot say that the gospel implies this stuff doesn't matter. The body is not simply a husk to be cast off in the next life. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims that we are to be redeemed body, soul, and spirit. Salvation is not and can never be understood as an escape from the physical world. It's not a flight of the soul to heaven. Rather, salvation is is the resurrection of the body, and this is an integral component of the gospel story. So integral that in chapter 15, Paul says, if it's not a bodily resurrection of Christ and of us, forget it. The gospel is not true. And so those, listen, who live within that story, those who make the resurrection central and are dominated, I will not be dominated by anything, but the, the reality of my glorious destiny and the consummation of God's kingdom as a glorified, resurrected body just like Jesus, those who don't do that, those who don't live within that story, they'll never understand what it is they're supposed to do with their bodies in this present time. Did you get that? Gospel leads to ethic. Theology leads to practical daily living. I want you, listen, Paul's emphasis on the resurrection of the body should forever silence the implicit dualism that you often encounter in Christian circles. I just heard it this morning coming to to church on the radio. This lady was singing a beautiful, sappy little love song to Jesus heaven is not my home. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. And I was sitting there thinking, you don't know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. You sound like a platonic dualist from Greece. Listen, take, for example, the well-known gospel song, this world is not my home. Listen to the first verse. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't know where, but somewhere out there. The angels beckon me from heaven's door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's not Christianity. That's Greek paganism. That is Greek dualism. There's no gospel in that song. None. This song is an example of how implicit Greek dualism has infected Christian thought. It expresses a Greek view of the world that places little to no value on the creation that God pronounced in Genesis 131, very good. 
the belief that the spirit is immortal, but the body along with the rest of creation is destined for destruction, the stomach for food, the food for stomach, God's going to destroy both the one and the other. That kind of thinking is totally pagan and foreign to all that the scriptures teach about the body. So too many believers in the church have been influenced by this implicit dualism illustrated in this well-known gospel song that people sing ad infinitum and ad nauseum, and they're repeating Greek pagan philosophy in the church, and they don't even know it. And so as a result of repeating Greek paganism over and over and over, here's what happens. They get the notion that when they die, they're going to be in some kind of place in the blue, Beyond the blue, some ethereal place where they exist in some kind of disembodied state, and they wonder, well, am I going to be a human being? Am I going to be a spirit? Am I going to be floating around on clouds? It just When I was a little boy and I was growing up in the church with this kind of stuff, I used to hate it with a passion. And I would sit there in church as a little boy going, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. I hate that. I, I, I like going to play football and baseball with my daddy. I love going to eat my mama's Sunday roast. I love this world. And then people who are super spiritual go, oh, you're so unspiritual, loving this world. Get your mind on the higher things of God, way beyond the blue. And I never could get my mind on it because I didn't know what to grasp. I didn't want to be some ghost. And so as a little boy, I would just sit there and go, oh, I hate this. Could I please just get to the baseball field? Paul, listen, in contrast to that pagan, wretched view of existence, listen to what Paul, listen to what the Christian confesses in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I love that. Listen to question 57 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? What comfort? Here's the answer. Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this flesh raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. That's beautiful. That's comfort. So to answer to the the question of believers who are wondering due to the influence of pagan philosophy rather than the gospel, what am I going to be like? What's my eternal destiny? Listen very carefully. The answer according to Paul here in 1 Corinthians 6, the answer according to the gospel is you're going to be just like Jesus in a glorified, risen body. Perfect in a new heavens and a new earth. And where people say, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, sorry, you're going to pass back by here and you're going to be recreated here forever. And I can't wait. I can't wait for the resurrection. Your soul and your body will be made like Christ and this is the hope of the gospel. Now, how does all of that theology apply to your daily life when you're sitting there in front of your computer going, should I punch it or should I not? Here's the answer. Because so many believers have been influenced by an implicit Greek dualism, they can't get their arms around such an ethereal state. So you know what they don't do? They don't long for resurrection. The hope of the gospel doesn't fill, doesn't dominate, doesn't, Paul say, enslave them. 
And when the hope of resurrection, when the gospel doesn't dominate you, you don't grow in sanctification. It's so simple. When the resurrection remains central in your thinking, it will purify your life and it will move you along in your daily pursuit of holiness. How do I know that? Paul teaches it, and so does the Apostle John. Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and what's the effect for the present? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as Jesus is pure. When you hope in the future bodily resurrected state that you're going to have through the gospel, it will purify you. I didn't say that. John said it and Paul said it because Jesus taught him. Placing, here's your application, placing your hope in your future resurrection has a purifying effect in your present sanctification. That's how you can say it. Placing your hope, being dominated with your hope, being mastered and enslaved by the centrality of resurrection, pronounced and promised in the gospel now will have a purifying effect in your present daily sanctification. That's what Paul's teaching these believers, and this is what they did not know. And now you know. Moreover, listen, there's a sense in which you have already been resurrected. Did you know you've already been resurrected spiritually? Let me just give you a couple of examples. And your, listen, your present resurrection as a believer has been signified and sealed to you in baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You've already been raised spiritually. Listen, Paul makes the same argument in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you know what Paul's saying here? He's just doing what he did in verse 9 through 11. Be who you are. You're already resurrected spiritually with Christ. Christ's resurrection power is already at work in your life as a citizen of the kingdom of God now. So therefore, live like it. How many of you knew that all of Christ's resurrection power is at work in your life right now? And how many of you really believe that right now? To the degree that you believe the resurrection of Jesus and his power is at work in you now is to the degree that you will pursue sexual purity. You have been raised to walk in newness of life. You've been raised to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God rather than as those who are excluded from the kingdom, verses 9 through 11. And so, therefore, walk in newness of life. Flee sexual immorality and glorify God, which in the context just simply means don't give your body to sexual immorality. That's all it means. So here's Paul's point. The final resurrection proves that the body is not meant for sexual immorality. 
the final resurrection proves that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. The final resurrection validates and confirms the moral importance of what the believer does in his or her body. Now, there's just one simple final question here that's just a good news punchline for the whole thing. How's it going to (laughs) happen? How in the world am I going to be resurrected? Because it's impossible. Now, Look what Paul says. Look at the end of verse 14. And God raised the Lord, and because God raised the Lord, he will also raise us up. How? By his power. It takes God's power to do this. The believer's resurrection will be affected by the power of God. We say in our church, we've come here to be served by Christ. We've come here to be served by Christ. Nowhere is Christ's service, is God the Father's service to us more vividly made apparent than in resurrection because you're separated from your body and it is decaying in a casket in the ground. And how is your body going to be reunited with your soul to be like Christ's glorious body? It's impossible because you have no more natural resources to do this. You cannot do this. You can't do the gospel. It is God's power that will reunite your body and your soul together in the consummation of his kingdom. The resurrection, Paul states, over and over throughout all of his letters is the greatest demonstration of God's power. Christ's resurrection and yours. This is the hope that the gospel gives us. All of God's power is given to me because the Lord is for my body. He's for me. He's not against me. And he's going to exercise all of his omnipotence to raise me from the dead. And you know what that does? That is precisely, Paul says, what gives meaning, responsibility, and significance to my bodily existence now and in the future. Therefore, I can't, all things are not lawful for me. My body is not going to be destroyed. It's going to be resurrected. And this final consummation that looks forward to this new heaven and this new earth with this new body that is raised will experience the final wholeness that everybody has always longed for but have never received. It's going to come. This is what Paul's teaching us. This is just, is this not remarkable? Does anybody in here this morning except me just feel like dancing? This is just amazing. Let me just summarize. Just This is what preaching does. Just sit and listen to this and just let it whack you. Stop taking notes. Just listen. Your body is not your own. It belongs to the Lord because it is destined for resurrection. Therefore, You're not free to selfishly indulge in unrestrained sexual license. Your behavior has important moral and significant consequences. 
Christ is the Lord of your body. He is the ruler of his kingdom. You are now a citizen of his kingdom. You have been given a new identity. You have been given a new sexual ethic. And you have been granted a new eternal destiny. Therefore, in light of this gospel truth, live according to the standards of kingdom righteousness rather than persist in ungodly worldly righteousness from verses 9 11 from which you have been saved this is paul's argument so we just come back to what we come back to every sunday do you know why the corinthians were living in sexual immorality and justified immoral behavior because they didn't know the gospel and its implications for their life Once again, we see that the gospel is what is at stake, not simply the resolution of an ethical question. Gordon Fee, just right there, just easy. The gospel, the resurrection, has direct ethical implications for the way we are to walk, conduct ourselves, and live our lives. The gospel, the resurrection, is to serve as the plumb line for all our thinking, speaking, teaching, living, behavior, attitudes, everything. It is the power of God for salvation. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Glorifying God in Our Bodies, Part 2. More from the Do You Not Know series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.